Over a century ago, the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Of the 2,240 people on board, only around 700 survived. Since then, the tragedy has been the subject of endless movies, documentaries, and books. And though we've learned a lot about the ship and many of the people on board, we hardly know anything about the iceberg responsible for the catastrophe, especially anything concerning its size. But maybe we can find some clues. The Titanic was constructed by the White Star Line as part of its new fleet of passenger liners. At the time, it was the largest ship ever built, and it lived up to its name. The ship was 883 feet long, equal to two and a half soccer fields placed end to end, and 175 feet tall, which is close to 10 giraffes standing on top of one another. From the waterline to the deck alone, the boat was 60 feet high. That's close to the height of a four-story building. The Titanic was big enough to have veranda cafes, a restaurant, a reading and writing room, a Turkish bath, a gym, and squash courts. There was even space for a swimming pool. The liner could carry a total of 3,300 people, including 2,435 passengers and 900 crew members. Although luxury was important, safety was paramount. The Titanic had been designed to have 16 watertight compartments below its deck. If the ship's hull was somehow compromised in an accident, up to four of these compartments could take on the water, while the remaining 12 would keep the ship afloat. Philip Franklin, vice president of the White Star Line, said this was what made the ship truly remarkable. It's believed that the man said, There is no danger the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable, and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. He was so very wrong. The ship left England for its first and last voyage on April 10, 1912. And all it took was a single iceberg to bring that mighty vessel down. Icebergs are fascinating. They are formed during a process called calving when large chunks of freshwater ice break free from glaciers and float away into open water. They eventually melt away and disappear. In the Northern Hemisphere, the majority of these icebergs come from Greenland. In the South, they come from Antarctica. What you see on top of the water is only a small portion of an iceberg. This is just the tip. Most of it, up to 90%, is hidden under the water. Only when you examine pictures of the entire thing can you truly appreciate how massive icebergs are. It's the part of the iceberg you can't see that is often the most dangerous. Beneath the waves, it can have jagged edges in random places. A ship can easily get too close without realizing it, resulting in serious damage to the bottom of the boat. And it's not just big icebergs you have to watch out for. Smaller ones, which are more difficult to spot, can prove to be just as dangerous. A growler, for example, is under 7 feet long, with just a bit more than 3 feet showing above the water. And a slightly larger bergy bit is less than 15 feet in size. The dangers of icebergs were well known when the Titanic set sail. In 1901, the Islander was traveling through the inside passage to Alaska. It collided with an iceberg and sank immediately. Luckily. 138 of the 178 people on board made it to safety. Back then, there wasn't any special equipment for detecting icebergs. The best tool was your eyes. From a special vantage point above the ship called the crow's nest, two members of the crew had to stare out over the ocean and watch for potential hazards. The crow's nest was located at the front of the ship, 
49 feet above the deck. It was attached to the mast. From this height, a person had a good view of the ocean. If they saw anything suspicious, they could ring a large bell to sound the alarm. After that, they could call from a special telephone to warn the captain of any danger. But imagine what a horrible job this would have been, especially on the night the Titanic sank. The crow's nest wasn't a warm and cozy room surrounded by windows. Instead, it was a large open tub exposed to the elements. On April 14, 1912, the air temperature was around 39 degrees Fahrenheit, which is close to freezing. With the ship moving at about 23 knots, more than 26 miles per hour, the sailors must have felt that frigid cold air pressing against any exposed skin. The only good thing about the job was that the shift only lasted two hours. Frederick Fleet was the sailor who actually spotted the iceberg that sank the Titanic. He was up in the crow's nest, working with Reginald Lee at the time. Fleet kept track of the left side of the ship, while Lee scanned the right. It was 10 p.m. when the two men started their shift. They had already been warned about the possibility of ice. But when you're cold and it's dark, it might feel like an impossible task. Even worse, the two men didn't even have binoculars to make the job any easier. Fleet would later insist that having binoculars would have prevented the tragedy. With about 20 minutes remaining on the job, the sailors noticed the iceberg. Fleet rang the bell once, twice, and again. He then called up to the bridge to inform the crew. At first, the call seemed to come in the nick of time. The ship's engines reversed, and the massive ocean liner managed to turn. It wasn't enough to miss the iceberg, though. Ice showered down onto the ship's deck. The iceberg tore through the hull, and water flooded in. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the Titanic was gone. And here we have clue number one. The iceberg was big enough to be spotted with the unaided eye in the dark of the night without any binoculars. It was also tall enough for bits of ice to fall down onto the ship's deck. Since this all took place long before social media and smartphones, nobody on board would have been taking photos or videos at the time. So, of course, we don't have any footage of the actual iceberg. But there are photos of the possible iceberg from later that day. The SS Prinz Adalbert was sailing near the area on the morning of April 15, 1912. The steward on the ship had not yet heard about what had happened to the Titanic. But when he spotted an iceberg floating by, he was compelled to photograph it. Why? There was a line of red paint along the bottom of the iceberg, indicating that it had likely collided with a ship sometime within the previous 12 hours. A second photo was taken from a ship called the Minia, which was sent into the area to look for debris from the collision. Captain de Carteret said that among the wreckage, he had seen only one iceberg. He also noticed a streak of red paint on it. From the photos and witness accounts, newspaper reports estimated the iceberg to be 50 to 100 feet high and 200 to 400 feet long. That's clue number two. The iceberg that hit the Titanic probably started its ocean journey from Greenland's coast, heading past the Baffin Bay to the Davis Strait. From here, it must have slipped through the Labrador Sea and finally reached the Atlantic. And that, in itself, is pretty impressive. The glaciers in Greenland create between 15,000 to 30,000 icebergs each year. Some small, some big. Of these, a mere 1% will actually make it to the Atlantic. The others simply melt along the way. 
we know that the temperature of the Atlantic Ocean, where the sinking took place, was around 28 degrees Fahrenheit. That's below freezing. For humans, this could cause frostbite or hypothermia. But that temperature is actually warm for an iceberg. Most would only last two to three years in the North Atlantic, slowly melting into the warmer water. Based on this, it's likely that the Titanic's iceberg left Greenland in 1910 or 1911 and was fully melted by late 1912 or 1913. But since it did make it to the Atlantic and managed to cause significant damage to the ship, we have clue number three. We will never know for certain the size of the iceberg from that day, but we do know that it definitely wasn't a growler or a bergy bit. Both those types of icebergs are much too small. And if the ice was indeed scattered across the deck during the collision, the iceberg must have been a little taller than 60 feet. The newspaper estimates are probably as close as we're going to get. The iceberg that took down the Titanic was indeed a formidable one. And icebergs are still a threat. As recently as 2007, the cruise ship Explorer struck one and sank in Antarctica's Weddell Sea. Luckily, everybody survived. The International Ice Patrol was created in 1914 following the Titanic's sinking. The organization is still in operation today, made up of representatives from several countries. Using airplanes and radar, the patrol locates and tracks larger icebergs, making the information available to anyone who needs it and preventing more ocean tragedies in the process. April 1912 marked one of the most terrible tragedies in the history of the world. The most unsinkable vessel, the pinnacle of engineering at that time, the huge Titanic, sank. On that dark, moonless night, the ship had many chances to save its passengers. There was another ship just a few miles away that could have saved the Titanic, but it didn't. It wasn't a phantom ship, and it's not some legend or a theory. This is a documented reality. There are records and witnesses' statements confirming this. But why didn't this ship help? Let's find out what happened that night by looking at these events from three different points of view. Let's start with the Titanic version. 11.30 p.m. The moon hides behind black clouds. Visibility is bad. Everything is calm on the Titanic. Under the captain's guidance, the communications operator stays in touch with the mainland through the radio. At this moment, some stranger breaks into the frequency, interrupting the operator's communication. It's unclear what this strange man wants and what he's talking about. The operator doesn't try to figure it out. He shouts at the guy, demanding him to disconnect. The connection is interrupted. At 11.40 p.m., the Titanic crashes into an iceberg. The ice breaks the hull. Water begins to flood the lower decks. Nobody is panicking yet. 20 minutes later, at midnight, the ship's crew sends a distress signal through the radio frequency. Few people understand how bad the situation really is. After 20 minutes, at 12.20 a.m., they start lowering lifeboats with passengers. At 12.25 a.m., they receive a response to the distress signal. This is RMS Carpathia. Their captain reports they're already sailing at maximum speed towards the Titanic. But the problem is that the crash site is 58 miles away. This means Carpathia will only be here in four hours. At 12.45 a.m., the sinking ship's crew release rockets into the air. These flares are one of the main reasons for the terrible fate of many passengers, but more on that later. 
90 minutes later, the Titanic's deck breaks and the ship dives underwater. At 4.10 a.m., the Carpathia finally arrives at the shipwreck location. The crew members make heroic efforts to save all the people. They take 705 survivors on board. At this moment, another ship appears. It's SS Californian. The Carpathia sails towards the New York coast with all the people. The Californian floats in search of passengers and finds nothing but wreckage. The ship was only a few miles away while the Titanic sank into the icy water. The Californian could have saved these people, but did nothing. Its captain, Stanley Lord, made one of the most terrible acts that a sailor can allow. He didn't help a sinking ship. When the world found out about all this, they detested Captain Lord. They couldn't bring charges against him, and the trial didn't punish him. But his career was ruined entirely, as no other ship company would hire him. Despite this, he never confessed he had been guilty. Before he passed away, the captain said it hadn't been his fault. If this was true, then what happened there? This brings us to the Californian version. It's the night of April 14th. The Californian is sailing in the cold waters of the North Atlantic. The ship gets into a section with a lot of icebergs. At 10.10 p.m., Captain Lord stops the ship. It's too dangerous to move around this area, as they can damage the hull. At 11 p.m., the ship starts drifting. It's impossible to move in such conditions with such poor visibility. The captain knows that the Titanic is coming here, so he orders the radio operator to warn the ship about the danger. Radio operator Evans turns on the receiver and tries to contact the Titanic. He spends about 30 minutes on it. The connection is finally established. At this moment, the Titanic radio operator is speaking with the mainland. Evans interrupts this conversation and tries to warn the ship about icebergs. The operator doesn't understand Evans' words. He's annoyed because Evans broke into the channel so brazenly. He shouts at Evans and cuts the connection. Tired, Evans turns off the receiver and informs his superiors about the incident. It's still a mystery how the captain reacted to this news. He probably thought the Titanic knew about the danger. He lets Evans go to bed. If Evans hadn't turned off the radio and waited one hour, he would have heard a distress signal from the Titanic. But you shouldn't blame him. At this point, he has no official reason to stay at the transmitter. Evans is too exhausted and can't fight drowsiness. So, Evans goes to bed. The Titanic begins to sink. Its captain sends a distress signal. The operator on board the Carpathia catches it, but the Californian doesn't since the receiver is turned off. Captain Lord can't sleep. He feels that something is wrong. Meanwhile, the Titanic is rapidly sinking under the water. The captain gives the order to launch rockets into the air. And here is where one of the critical mistakes takes place. They release warning lights, but they are not red. The crew forgot to take red rockets on board for some reason. So they lit up the sky with a bright white light. If you need to send a distress signal, you need to release red lights. Captain Lord sees these lights, but doesn't perceive them as a cry for help. It can't be that there are no standard red rockets on such a massive ship as the Titanic, but unfortunately, it can. Captain Lord thinks the Titanic is sailing away. Perhaps there is some unknown reason behind those white lights, but he doesn't really know. 
So, Captain Lord has no idea that the Titanic is sinking. He still decides to contact the ship, but this time, not through radio communication. Captain Lord doesn't wake up the radio operator and sends a signal to the Titanic through a signal lamp. It's important to understand that many old-school captains didn't take radio communication seriously. They didn't understand the value of this technology. That's why Captain Lord doesn't wake up Evans. He sends light signals, but the Titanic doesn't respond. Many survivors later mentioned seeing the flashing lights of the Californian, but there was nothing they could have done. The ship's crew doesn't hear their cries for help. At 2.20 a.m., the Titanic completely goes underwater. A little more than two hours later, radio operator Evans wakes up and turns the transmitter on. He hears many rescuers talking about the sunken ship. Evans understands everything. He reports this to the captain. At that moment, the Californian immediately heads to the wreck site. They meet Carpathia there. With the survivors on board, it sails towards New York. The Californian stays sailing and looking for people. They find nothing but wreckage. The Californian returns to the mainland. The news about the ship that could have saved the Titanic is spreading all over the country. The trial begins. Captain Stanley Lord and the crew tell their version. They say their ship had been standing still. Many people don't believe them, and some of the surviving passengers claim to have seen the Californian sailing by. Still, the judge declares them innocent. 1962. Captain Stanley Lord is a very old man. He calls a notary to confess something. The captain makes his last remark about this case. He swears he's not guilty. But if it wasn't the Californian sailing past the Titanic at that moment, then what? The Samson theory could answer that question for us. The sealing ship Samson is sailing in the cold waters of the North Atlantic. The crew aren't sleeping. They carefully study the surroundings, but not because they're afraid of icebergs. They're scared of meeting with the U.S. Coast Guard. The Samson ship's crew catch seals, which is illegal. At 12.45 a.m., Samson's captain sees white signal rockets. The team is sure it's the Coast Guard. They turn off the lights and sail away. It's dark, so they don't notice the sinking Titanic. They return to the coast of Iceland and hear about the disaster. They realize they have abandoned the drowning passengers. The nephew of one of Samson's crew members reads about this story in his uncle's diary. The nephew asks for permission to publish these recordings. All the people realize that Captain Lord wasn't guilty. But unfortunately, he didn't live to see this moment. Actually, it's still unknown who is guilty in this story. Two ships were nearby the Titanic. Their captains were adequate people. They would have helped save all the passengers. Their fault was that they couldn't understand what the Titanic wanted on that dark night. Someone forgot to put red flares in the box. This small but fatal detail was one of the leading causes of the tragedy.